0: Inspector Callaghan. Jamie. Usual? Oh, the usual lunch, the usual dinner. Well, what difference does it make? Not much. Hey, Jaffee, uh. Is that tan 4 still parked across the front of the bank? Tan 4 Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10-4. Engine running? <laughs> I don't know. How can I tell? Exhaust fumes coming out of the tailpipe. Ooh, that's awful. Look at that pollution. Yeah. Do me a favor, will you? Call this telephone number. Police department? <throat> yeah, tell him Inspector Callahan thinks there's a 211 in progress at the bank. Got it? Be sure and tell him it's in progress, right? In progress. Yes, sir. Now, just wait till the cavalry arrives. Oh, shit. you thinking? Did he fire six shots, or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I've kinda lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? That is a uh, Dirty Harry, yeah, right there from the movie. Um, I decided to play that today. You know why? Because today's Clint Eastwood's birthday. That's right, there's a reason, there's a reason why I played that. It has nothing to do really with, I guess, I could have played any number of clips from a Clint Eastwood movie, which there are many. And it's amazing the guy is, is still alive. And um, is he directing another movie? I don't know. But uh, we needed to uh, we need to bring some uh, Clint Eastwood energy onto the show today. Let me see if I can can take it a little closer here. Keep the head space. There you go. So, how is everybody? How are y'all doing? As they say down here in Texas, I had a, a, I had a good mercury retrograde moment yesterday. You know, a lot of people complain about how mercury retrograde really sucks. I'm, I'm kind of neutral in mercury retrograde. You know, whenever I go into a heavy astrological transit, my general rule of thumb is hands off. Like, show me, show me what I need to learn. I don't need, the psychological baggage that goes along with a heavy transit. I don't need that group think. You know what I'm saying? If I, there's something I need to learn from it, I'll learn from it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, there's, I think there's some truth in being able to cushion your fall. If you're going to fall, you need to cushion your fall. But thinking that you're going to fall is, a predisposition that, in many cases, people may want to revisit because that's all it is. In many cases, it's a predisposition based on more or less groupthink, and that's not to mean or or not to say that some of these uh, aspects are you know important, valid, and 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 real. Because well, we're going to probably go over some of them today, but by and large. Um, let it play out. Right? Let reality play out to some extent. There's a time where you can get engaged. You can get responsive to your environment. But uh, let me tell you my, my good Mercury retrograde story. So these glasses I'm wearing, I decided to be prepared. And if something ever happened, should it's the fan, whatever, whatever. Um, I thought to myself, I could probably benefit from another pair of glasses. So I, the original pair of glasses had their lenses scratched and I think they were still under their, their Costco warranty. Cause I get, I get the Costco glasses. And, um, so I went back and I didn't know that at the time, but they said, Oh, your glasses are under warranty we will replace your lenses which is pretty cool, right? So I got my lenses replaced. And I also ordered another pair of the same glasses, just just because, right? Not too long after that, I lost one of the pairs of glasses. And I looked all over the place, all over the place. So I've been doing some, uh, some work in the yard, gardening, trying to grow a few plants and veggies and, I'm trying to make the lawn better out front. So in case we have any company, the lawn will look pretty good, right? So yesterday I was out doing my thing and I noticed there, there's a there's an old, old like picnic bench that's in the yard. Pretty old. And um, I looked over on it and look what I found. I found my other glasses. Like I've been out in that yard it's not like I haven't been in that yard for a long time. I'm, I'm in the yard almost every day. Okay. I walk by that bench every day. And for whatever reason, these things showed up on the bench. So I'm, and this is a testament to the Costco glasses too, because they've been out in the elements, serious rainstorms. We have lots of hot sun here. Right. And let's just say that. It actually was them that was on the, like they were there the whole time, that somehow they didn't just kind of pop in, you know, interdimensionally, right? Costco, you make some good fucking glasses. And they're affordable. So that's a good Mercury retrograde story. How is everybody? We're going to get into, oh God, the shooting mess we here to entangle it. It's like kudzu. We're entangling the, the vines and the threads of this so-called reality. You know, people, Jetlandia, It's it's great that we know each other because you always renew my faith in humanity. Always. Always. I'm trying to get to Logos right now. Because I'm in pathos with humanity. I'm not thrilled about the state of humanity. When uh, I did my show with Russ on Friday, there were some people that picked up on the comment that I had towards the end of the show, which was my experience with humanity is that most people are filled with self loathing and they hate their lives. It's an honest assessment. Not everybody, I didn't say everyone, but most, most people are filled with self-loathing and they hate their lives. And this is why we're living in the state that we're in right now. Behind me, you can see the 1984, this is an old cover of the George Orwell book. And in that book, they have something called Two Minutes of Hate, hate is the only emotion that they can feel in the novel. Everything, everything else is pretty much outlawed. Love is outlawed. Any real show or display of human emotion is noted, marked down, annotated. And um, the individual will have to answer to their egregious display of emotion. But they could have two minutes of hate. And this is what our society has been turned into, is two minutes of hate. It's, it's, it's a little clouded. It's a little oblique at times. But it's there. I can tell you that right now. And every time we have an event or a shooting, it stokes the fires of the two minutes of hate. And uh, I've been... I've had some interesting posts on Twitter, which maybe I'll talk about depending on the flow of the show. Um, so the idea here is that the, they, so who knows who really floated the Roe v. Wade stuff? We don't know. And we can take a stab at it that it was maybe Sotomayor's clerk or somebody else's clerk, Kagan's clerk or whomever, right? We don't, we don't know. But we would assume that it was somebody with a quote unquote liberal bias. But again, we don't know. It could have been, it could have been uh, the guy who's run the Supreme court. We don't know. That was almost like a trial balloon and get a bunch of people, showing up in front of the houses of the various Supreme Court justices. And then I think it was in Virginia, they shut it down, basically saying, look, if you go here, that's a felony. The governor of Virginia you know, essentially stated that, right? So it almost feels like that was a, like a trial balloon to see what kind of response they would get. They wanted to, you know, get the feelers and see see what's out there. My sense is is that they understand that if they go down the RV Wade funnel, right? It's gonna get ugly because these people are, they're not built physically nor ideologically to carry out the the machinations of the the deeper state right they're just not built that way and they would ultimately get their asses kicked so they have to come back to the race thing and apparently there was some kind of a shooting in Tennessee was it Chattanooga i think it might have been Chattanooga and um there were a bunch of hateful comments that were shared on the Fox News page. I don't know why Fox News has comments, allows comments on their on their pages. Most, most websites don't now. And the only reason, I don't think it has anything to do with free speech, by the way. I think what it has to do with is seeding this idea that people are hateful and racist. And somebody that I don't even know, and I think I'll probably address this later. Somebody I don't even know, somebody who's not a quote unquote Twitter friend, right? We don't follow each other, jumped on my thread and essentially blamed me for whatever was happening in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'll probably go back and cover it maybe during the show. It's just, it's just utterly utterly bizarre. First of all, they don't know me. They have no idea who I am. Um, and he's wanting me to respond to a lot of these quote, unquote, hateful comments on the Fox News page. And, and, it, and it makes me wonder, like, who the... F- don't people understand that we're living in a time where we don't even know who is commenting on any given story at any given time. They could be a troll. They could be a bot. You don't fucking know. You just, you don't know. But you're going to take that as the gospel of hate because it's coming through the comment section on Fox News. You don't fucking know. These people, I'm sorry, are so unsophisticated like if, if I was, if I wanted to fuel the fire, if I wanted to stoke the coals, which is really what today's show is about. If I wanted to stoke the coals, I would have all of my um, agent provocateurs, whether they're paid, whether they're synthetic, I would have them go into those comments and I'd populate them with hate speech. That's exactly what I would do. And then maybe you could catch somebody you know, in the momentum, right? And and just pile on. All of a sudden, you've got somebody who's frustrated, whose life isn't working because the system is broken and it sucks and they'll pile on. So I don't want to sound like like a, like an arrogant prick, but I'm appalled at times of people's lack of intelligence and sophistication. I'm sorry, this is the way it is. If you don't understand how the psychological game works and how being controlled through, through alternative media and social media works. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help you. You've had plenty of time to understand, you know, what's going on here. And I've been doing these shows. He doesn't know me like just somebody's popped in on my thread, whatever. And, and, and he doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I do. He doesn't even know what I've been through in terms of, my own personal life experience and life journey, knows nothing about that. He knows nothing about the fact that I managed an apartment building in Oakland in the hood for four years. And uh, then I moved to Berkeley and Point Richmond. And, you know, I, I bounced around some very intense urban scenes. And I have plenty of stories about those scenes, both good and bad. But this person doesn't know They have no context. They just see me. They probably go through my Twitter feed. They saw a post that I had about the Second Amendment, and then they're off and running. But I've been doing this now, this show, more or less, this show, but I've had other versions of this. I've I've been podcasting since 2010. I've been doing this for 12 years. Like, go. I, you know, I'm not, I'm almost embarrassed to say this because you would think that if I'd been doing this for 12 years, I'd be much bigger than I am, right? So I'm not saying this to, to put my stake in the ground and tell people that um, you know, these are my bona fides, but I've been doing this for 12 years and I've been doing my best to untangle, break down, reassemble. These so-called events in reality so that people have some other way of looking at them. So that they're not trapped by the left-right dialectic, the black-white dialectic, right? The, 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 the field, the torsion field that they put you into when they throw up duality. Now, there are times when you have to make a choice. You have to say, well, this is wrong or this is right. And sometimes there is a very clear demarcation with those choices. if you don't make that choice and you're stuck in the middle, it's like Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live, where he talks about being in the middle. He says, if you're in the middle, there's a good chance you'll get run over. Maybe, but this is where we are now because they're starting to stoke the fires again. Apparently there was a pregnant woman that was shot in Kansas City. And cops responded to a vehicle that was parked in a Dollar General and apparently they're up to, you know, whatever. Nothing good. And the cops show up. And you have to understand too that in a lot of ways, these are just desperate people. They're, I'm not excusing, uh, they're, you know, the, the culture of the life. So they're desperate people. The system has fucked them over. They've gotten them completely hooked on entitlements since 1963 they've just absolutely eviscerated the black family there's there's no there's no fathers around to help maintain and sustain order and in those neighborhoods who did who do they see on the streets that are their role models well they're either pushers or pimps pushers pimps or gang members and that's who young guys want to aspire to be though they become their father figures it's a horrible thing I saw I saw with my own eyes I, I lived in the cradle of that and a lot of times with social media there's just no context and people don't understand the bigger picture and this is why social media can be really, really uh, damning and harmful, because it makes snap judgments, snap judgments based on synthetic values and um, artificial sources. So people are just reacting to the ghosts in the machine. That's what that's what's happening. And it's unfortunate. And I see it more and more and more with social media. There was another, I think the post that triggered it was a post that was connected to um, the, the Second Amendment. And there was a musket. Uh, and then there was an AR-15. One could fire one round per minute, while the other could fire 600 rounds per minute why do we need the one that fires 600 pounds or 600 rounds? And I looked at that and I'm like, this is the most specious argument that the Second Amendment people can bring up. It's speech, totally specious. And somebody who is a Twitter quote unquote friend responded to that and said, have you even read the Second Amendment? Do you know, Yeah, of course I've read this. There's nothing in the Second Amendment that says that defines what kind of caliber gun you can use or not use. And then she says, well, I'd love to see you, love to see what happens when you go up against the U S army, like where the fuck is this coming from? And then she's, she's uh, linking it back to um, uh, guns used to kill children again. Are you, do you follow the content? You don't even have to follow me. You, you can, you can go out and, listen to other people and see what they're talking about. But when you go and drill down into these events, all of a sudden, they, they look, you know, ucky-fucky. And there's so many weird pieces that, you, that cannot be, that can't be answered. They can't be answered. But it's okay, you know, just distill it down and boil it down to your feeling points, not even thinking points. Feeling points because that's what she was doing. That's what this woman was doing. Just breaking it down. I'm not gonna put up her tweet, I don't want to expose her name, but there was her feeling points. It was about the kids. What have I said about the kids? They are emotional currency, and they have been exploited ad nauseum over the over the last we can go back to. Trayvon Martin, we can go back to Sandy Hook. We can go to Parkland. You know, they're always exploiting the kids. Go down to the border, exploiting the kids. AOC, looking at a fucking empty field. That's what she was doing. She was crying. She's exploiting this idea. I can't, I, I knew this guy. He probably doesn't watch my show. Who knows? Maybe he does. He might have a morbid fascination with it. But I knew this guy who, I mean, theoretically on the surface, you would think he's intelligent. He owns a business, very successful business. Not a dim bulb at all. And he's screaming about the conditions on the border and he wants to strangle Trump. This is years, This is back when Trump was president. I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? People latch onto these talking points and they get into their feelings with them. So all of a sudden now you got to ban guns because of those kids getting killed. You have no idea what went on. You have no idea how you're being exploited. And for some people, when they're faced with that, they can crack. They can completely crack and their entire personality, the structure of their personality can just fracture and crumble. Because they believe that there are certain things that are inviolate. And once you violate those things, once you tell them that that the things that you believe are inviolate are the very same things that imprison and jail you, they'll lose their minds. And again, I I don't think, I'm gonna talk about the adrenochrome stuff I was talking to the doctor yesterday when we were talking about this, and I don't disbelieve that there are adrenochrome pushers. I don't disbelieve that there are children that are being trafficked. I don't disbelieve that at all. In fact, it makes great sense that these things are happening for any number of reasons. And who knows what the real story is down in Uvalde with those kids, because apparently the parents Parents couldn't even see their kids. They had to go to some kind of city hall or something to identify the DNA. Why is that? Is, isn't that like a page out of Sandy Hook? Well, it is. It is a page out of Sandy Hook. But it still happens. You know, it's like it's it's like there's a whole other faction that I believe has. What, so, so at the end of the day, I think people are well-intentioned. I think that their intentions are good. That they want to protect life. That they want to protect the innocence. I believe that. But I also believe that they use children in order to get inside people's emotional body and then insert programs. That's what I think. Because we think, because that's a trauma. The whole kid thing is trauma-based. And you show me one person that wasn't traumatized as a child, and I'll show you a winning fucking lottery ticket, okay? We're born into trauma. We are born into trauma. And it is our duty and our journey to, number one, theoretically, protect the inner child within us. We have to do that. We have to parent the inner child within us, which isn't always easy because for a lot of people, they didn't even really get good parenting. You might have one parent that might be pretty good, uh, but but also flawed. I mean, that was my father. My father had some great qualities, but he was deeply flawed. And I had to struggle with, you know, the Jekyll Hyde nature of my father, which was (laughs) was not easy. At the end of the day... You know, um, Dr. Jekyll wins out with my dad. Mr. Hyde, you know, eventually found, you know, where he needed to dwell. And I would say that, you know, with all due respect to my mother, who's coming here very shortly uh, to um, celebrate the graduation of my my kid leaving high school, my son leaving high school, which is a real, real trip, by the way. Um, and I know a lot of you've already experienced that. I was a late dad, but, um, you know, all due respect to my mother, you know, she was damaged goods and she was very competent at certain things. She was competent at keeping a household together. There are other things where she just did not have the emotional sophistication. So if you have at least one parent that has some, you know, some good stuff, you've got a better chance than most people of being able to protect your inner child and be able to manage your life and manage your resources. If you have a parent and a half, even could be even better. Hopefully you have two parents who are mostly whole and individuated, although I don't think that's easy. Maybe some of the Gen X people do, but the Gen X people, their parents were the baby boomers. So, I don't know. Baby boomers, Gen X, they have the biggest number of divorces out of any generation. So that may not be a good example that Pluto and Libra stuff, right? Maybe, maybe it's the Gen Xers who have given birth to Gen Z. Maybe Gen Z might have two reasonable parents around quite possibly. All right, let's get into, um, chat and, uh, let me do a, a man, I got to tell you, I got the gummies back. I got the gummies back and man, I took them last night, half an hour later, boom, boom, out go the lights. All right, let's see, who do we have here? We got DJ MC. What's going on, Michael? Ryan, my brother. Good to see you. Sony's here, Equicentric. All aboard, everybody. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Chris and Steve, hey, friends. is Hermes Direct today. Wendy says it's here. Hello, beautiful one. There's my man, Thomas Jordan. What's happening, TJ? Hucklebuck 411, are you warm? Are you real? Mona Lisa, are just a cold, cold and lonely lovely work of art. Didn't somebody... Like throw some shit at the Mona Lisa? I think so. Uh, Let's see. Oh, you guys did a show with um, Emily. Cool. Good deal. All right, who else do we have here? Cece, what's going on, Fran? Mark Matheny, chime it in. Mercury goes direct on Friday. Susie, the sea goddess. What's happening? You made it. I used to call Susie the sea dragon, but she likes the sea goddess. I like that too. That's a good one. Arlene Vega. What's going on, Arlene? Welcome to the show. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Where's Queen Lisa? Is Queen Lisa here? Uh, let's see. I got to know. Tondar. I know, right? That guy who has the I gots to know line. He's in a ton of Clint Eastwood movies. That's one of Clint's buddies. I thought it was really interesting. There are two scenes to that opening that are interesting. The first scene is when he goes into the hot dog stand, play Misty for me is playing at the theater. I don't know if it was really playing at the theater or they just had the theater there and they were able to put it on the marquee. Of course, that's a Clint Eastwood movie, play Misty for me. And then the other scene that I'd never noticed before is as he's walking past the car, the brown Ford that hits the fire hydrant. As he walks past it, you could hear music. Like that's Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood using the music that's playing on the radio of that car to be sort of underneath the that scene it's like bed music right very interesting so i had seen the play misty thing for me before that's right at the beginning but the music i had not picked up on i was wearing headphones today so i was able to actually listen to it oh that's interesting interesting use of music and i i think um that bit of dialogue was put together by john millius John Milius has his hand. John Milius and Michael Cimino uh, have their hands in the Dirty Harry script. And then in the second movie, Magnum Force, I think Clint turns the writing over to them completely. And then uh, Clint Eastwood agrees to star in a Michael Cimino movie called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with him and Jeff Bridges. And that's a total astrological mind trip because Clint is a Gemini and Jeff Bridges is a Sagittarius. And it's a weird kind of road buddy movie, cop caper, uh, stick up film. It's really weird, but it's really good too. I highly recommend Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. All right, who else do we have here? Uh, lurking Low Key Thor. I love studying astrology, take it very seriously, but I've never had a problem with being called a pseudoscience and deserves to be called pseudoscience. It's riddled with um, confirmational bias. It can be for sure. I mean, that's why I think it's really important to come at astrology in, in an agnostic kind of way. And we all have our biases. I mean, I don't think we can extract ourselves from our bias. And I've actually talked about this on a number of occasions with uh, with Trump. Empath is here. What's going on, Empath? All right. Uh, Let's see. Susie says, "Reminds me of the something Dolores Cannon said about parallel realities crossing timelines." Costco. Yeah, it's like I've been out on my front yard many times. Many times, and all of a sudden yesterday, the Timex watch of glasses appears. A lot of love in chat today. You don't strike me as someone who's needed glasses your whole life except for reading. You sound too much like a professional sports commentator. Though you you look like an ex-jock. There's nothing ex-jock about it. Once a jock, always a jock. You know, I played a lot of sports and I hated the fucking jock world. I hated the jock world it bugged me because, because again, it was like filled with fucking meatheads. I remember when I, when my time with baseball was over, because I played a lot of baseball. I played on a travel team for a brief period of time. And I, I remember looking around at the guys on my team and I'm like, I don't like these people. They're fucking assholes. They're, I hate to say it, but they're low IQ assholes. And I was also going through a weird kind of growth spurt at that time. I think it was a I think it was a junior in high school. Maybe it was the summer of my junior year, going into my senior year, and I went through this like really intense growth spurt, and I had to have my body catch up. So there was that, and um, just this realization that I just I just wasn't into that world. You know, it's a it's a. It's a, it's a very weird hierarchical world when you get into sports. Like you have people that are, oh, speaking of alphas, come on up here. Well, there you are. About time. About time you're here. You know, it's a, it's a world where, you know, alphas try to dominate. They try to dominate. So there's really like two tiers. In fact, I think in life there's really two tiers. Although I think there's a third wing that you can align yourself with, which gets you out of the two tiers, right? You're either, this is a theme that shows up in a lot of different, lot of different movies um, and lives. And I remember, again, I've told this story before. It has to do with Joe Strummer and Joe Strummer talking about his life at public school in England. And he realized there were two classes of people. There were people that beat up and people that got beaten up on. That was it. So Strummer said, well, I know what class I want to be a part of. I don't want to get my ass kicked. I'll be the one delivering the blows. So that stratification and those hierarchies um, begin to assemble themselves in really odd and weird ways. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that most people, men and women included, but I'll, I'll just chime in with men here, have no idea about their place in the world or their place in the community, or their place in the tribe. None. So what we do is we struggle for relevance. We struggle for some degree of you know biological, um, again, I'll use the word hierarchy, right? Who's going to mate? Who's going to reproduce? I mean, these are all very primal genetic decisions that we're making all the time without a lot of real, Conscious awareness as to why we're making certain decisions. And it's true. So, and I can even see that now. I can see that now with the dominant paradigm because people are looking around and they're saying, okay, there's a group of people out there that are bullies and they're the ones that are determining how reality gets set. And so we're going to rebel against that. We're going to rebel against. Um, race or class or economic status because it's unfair. Right? It's like, it's almost like revenge of the nerds, although not as clever. So we're seeing a lot of this in society now and we're seeing it through group consciousness. And I, and again, when I saw that interview with Grant Cohn and J- Javon Kinlaw, which I've, I think I played some last week, the interview itself to me was, it was, Was there any epiphany with the interview? A little bit. It was certainly shocking to watch in real time because I've never seen an athlete cross that line ever. Every now and then you'll see somebody on, uh, you know, IG or Twitter or something like that. um, Give Skip Bayless a bad time. LeBron will, shot, you know, do, a, do a, a diss on Skip Bayless. But it's usually in those spaces, right? The person isn't there. They're throwing out some napalm on their original tweet or whatever. But I've never seen it happen in real time. That to me was fairly shocking. The discourse between Javon Kinlaw and Grant Cohn was um, disappointing. And it was, it was disappointing and it was a lot of ways sad. I'm just gonna come out and say it. Because Javon Kinlaw was like a, he was like a cliche in that moment. Like everything that you would expect to think about somebody from South Carolina, uh, who knows what level, level of education he's got, his family background, he shows up on that video and he's a fucking cliche, I'm sorry. You know, somebody on that team should have sat him down. And there are guys on that team that play with him, like Eric Armstead, who hates Grant Pone, by the way. And they both play on the uh, defensive line. Eric Armstead is probably laughing. But what he should have done is he should have said, hey, look, brother, you know, don't go on his show. And Eric Armstead is a veteran. Don't go on his show. If you want to show him, like, get out there and whoop some ass this year. Show that little cockroach that you can play. That didn't happen. What about the defensive line coach, Chris Kisorek, who who's supposedly this amazing maniac of a defensive line coach? Did he sit down with uh, Javon Kentlaw and give him some, some uh, leadership advice? No. Nobody did. So you have to wonder whoever, who did that in Javon Kinlaw's life. Probably nobody. He probably had Dr. Jekyll as a dad. So when you get into this stuff and you untangle it, like it gets, it gets like a, a kudzu patch, right? I mean, there's things that you can going entangle. You go into somebody's past, realize that, well, there's no leadership there. Um, there's no, there's no, um, no standards, no values. Certainly not coming from the team. And if it came from the team, would he even be able to accept it? Because that's not what he grew up with. If he had grown up with somebody who was the voice of reason and said, hey, look, you don't do this, okay? And get back to school. And, you know, learn, learn grammar, learn arithmetic, learn the things that are going to help you out in life. Like, could he have even taken advice from people inside of that building. If he didn't have it, the guy was apparently he was hot. That part shocked me, but it did not, um, but it did not, um, bring to me the realizations that came after that. The realizations that came after that were the people that we're turning on Grant Cohn and Grant Cohn is easy to turn on. He can be a dick. His father was a sports writer. His father was a dick. And a lot of people believe that there's nepotism involved, that Grant wouldn't have gotten that job at the Santa Rosa press Democrat. If it wasn't for his father who'd been working there, that was his last gig before he retired. And maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's some truth to that. Um, And there's also the thing that could be equally true that Grant who did study journalism, who did study literature at UCLA might actually be good at what he does. And I read his stuff on the PD and I thought he was good. I mean, regardless of like shit like this happens all the time, you know, it happens all the time. You get the sons of politicians who run for, run for political office. Jerry Brown, Pat, Pat Brown Jr. George Bush, George Bush Jr. Like nepotism runs through our society. It is rampant. It's part of the code of the tribe. It's part of the code of the family. You want to be able to advance your own bloodline. What the fuck is wrong with that? Even if they're not the, at the top of the list of, of, of the, the meritocracy, that hasn't stopped many families. Certainly didn't stop the Bush family. Um, so that's what happens, right? I don't have a problem with it. If you're good, you're good. If you suck, like Pete Rose tried to get his son a tryout. His son sucked at baseball. Like there's a point where your, your talent or lack thereof is going to, I think, didn't Mickey Mantle Jr. try to get a cup of coffee? I mean, if, you're, if you suck, you suck. There are areas where they can cover for you, and you can still suck. Like for instance, Anderson Cooper, who literally, and figuratively sucks. Um, is he? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's terrible at what he does, but clearly he's compromised. He's the son of a Vanderbilt. He's Gloria Vanderbilt's son. He he grew up in his elite. So at certain levels, you can be, you know, mediocre and the system can help you out if you have the right pedigree. But if you're flat out bad, really bad, that even the system at times can be pretty shaky. All right. Um, Let me get back to my point. but Before I do, I do want to talk about True Hemp Science. Because I had the uh, gummy delivery this weekend. And I'm really trying to work on my sleep. I have, I've, ever since I was young, I've had this terrible tendency to stay up way too late. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to change that. Because I, th- I do think that First of all, I think sleep's a waste of time. If I didn't have to sleep, I wouldn't sleep. I think it's a waste of time. But that said, it's an important biological function. I used to be a big dreamer. I used to have out-of-body experiences. I used to do all kinds of shit. So it's not like sleep hasn't been uninteresting to me. It's been pretty interesting a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of ways. But now because I'm, I'm becoming more conscious and aware of my health, um sleep is the next thing i'm going to tackle so the gummies have really helped and just you know i take two i take two and within a half an hour cue up pat travers boom boom out go the lights so you get that through um true hemp science you know what i'm going to get the I'll be right back. i'm will be i going to show you the bottle the cool bottle for the gummies hold on i'll be right back i've been wanting to do this for a while excuse me Clint. This is the uh, product placement. Excuse me, Clint. Keep your hands off that trigger. This is the product placement part of the show. So here you go. This is the uh, jar that the gummies come in. And these jars are not cheap, by the way. They're really high-quality jars. And then there's the gummy. See that right there? and I believe you get 100 of them in this container. So if you have an issue sleeping, pop a couple of those at night, wait a half an hour, and um, the land of none. If you spend $100, so if you bought these gummies and you bought another product, let's say for your pets or another form of CBD, like maybe you want a daytime application for CBD, you're gonna get $20 worth of product Let's say you hit 80, I'm sure you'll get $20 worth of product. I'm not sure it's exactly $100, maybe 90 I don't know what the real threshold is. But you'll get something. I think the more you spend, the more you get. That's the idea. There's an incentivization program here. So go to truehemscience.com, backslash ref, backslash 23, backslash, and uh, just put in 15 mins. That is the code now. There's a bunch of variations on the code. So just put in 15 mins and uh, you'll, get your, you'll get your product, your goody. So getting back to the whole Javon Kinlaw, Grant Cone thing, it was really the fallout that was the revelation for me and watching people have a moment to turn on Grant Cone. Now there were some fair and balanced comments which were like, they were both wrong. I don't know what, like there are peop- people like Grant have been around for years They're they're like mosquitoes. And they, you know, and every single writer on the 49ers beat is not like Grant Cohen. I can tell you that right now. They're all pretty much white bread. They're all pretty much white bread, milk toast reporters. They don't always ask tough questions. They don't always have like, you know, radical opinions. They're generally not contrarian because they want access to the athletes. They want to kiss the athlete's ass. They want to kiss the front office's ass. So by doing that and by playing nice, look at access. Grant doesn't have a lot of access. They hate him in the locker room. I'm not sure sure that's necessarily a bad thing if you're a writer. You're not there to be liked, right? It takes a really thick-skinned individual to – to do that, right. To, to be able to have an opinion and not give a shit about what other people think, particularly if it impacts their ability to access the facility or have access to players. Um, they're just going to kind of fork into being the the good citizen so that they can get the resources that are associated with being good and not being problematic. If you're problematic, you get your resources cut out. So you had all these people who were turning on Grant Cohen and they were saying good and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, first of all, you're responding to his tweets. So he's getting tweet action, right? If you were really that into divesting yourself, you wouldn't even fucking respond to him. You wouldn't respond to the tweet. You wouldn't respond to his YouTube video. You wouldn't follow him. You you know what I mean? Like you just wouldn't do that, but no, they have to do that. So they're still feeding the beast, even though they're, Pounding their chest and and um you know yelling for, for Grant Cohn to be have his press credentials with the Niners um taken away from him. And it's because people are spiteful and their lives are generally meaningless and they are filled with self-loathing. And if somebody else And we've we've all been guilty of this. I mean, I've I've been guilty of it too. When you see somebody who you have an issue with or you think is too high on the totem pole and they fall, there are people that applaud that. When I was a kid, I remember seeing um, this documentary on Ken Kesey. It was a pretty honest documentary. And Ken Kesey talked about, you know, being in the public spotlight and being like put on a pedestal. Which he was after he did, um, after he was written about in the electric kool acid test and uh, you know and all the acid test stuff and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like Ken Kesey was a fucking rock star. You go back to that time, late sixties. Ken Kesey was a was a, a rock star and a cultural icon, and he turned his back in the whole thing. He became a dairy farmer in Oregon, which is where he was from. But he talked about. How when he was popular, once he became popular, there was a target on him. And it got me to think about, you know, this idea of what we do to people in our society. First, we put them on a pedestal and then we put them on a cross. And then once we put them on a cross, we celebrate their misfortune. People celebrate their misfortune. And and there's a German word for it, and I've talked about it before, it's called Schattenfreuden. It's a celebration of of another's misfortune. And they couldn't wait to do that with Grant. Why? Well, because, number one, he's got a cush job, theoretically. He doesn't work for the PD anymore. I think he works for Sports Nation or one of these syndicated websites. Um, He's got a cush job. He gets access to games. He gets to write about sports. He has a YouTube channel. He has a following. He makes money. He's an arrogant fuck sometimes. Doesn't help. But shit, if that's who you are. Just own it. Just own it. You know, be authentic with it. And uh, they don't like that, right? He's got a life that they don't like. And who knows what they do for a living? You know, they're, and they're, they're scrambling around trying to cobble together some, some meaning, some merit, not fall behind on their payments. I mean, for a lot of people, let's face it, life sucks. It's true. And if you have a reasonable life, when I say reasonable, reasonable means that you like what you do. Um, for the most part, you like who is in your life and that you have something to live for on a daily basis, a raison d'etre. If you have those three things, you're, you're in the upper 15% of our society, upper 15%. And so what they were doing in that moment is that they wanted to drag Grant Cohn through the streets. And again, I think Grant's kind of a dick. I've seen him play the race card on a couple of occasions. I pointed it out like, dude, just don't go there. You're implying that the 49ers are going to draft Mac Jones because everybody in the building is white. Well, that's not true. But he was implying that and he knew that he could stoke those fires and he could get a lot of people to buy into what he was saying because politically it's correct. And a lot of people would love to just, you know, cry racist. It's like, it's like, you know, yelling fire or wolf, right? It's the, it's the, uh, uh, The dog whistle, crying racism, is the dog whistle of our society now. Even though the dog, the dog, the dog whistle accusers are on the other side of that equation, but it's true. I've seen him do it, and I was like, "Dude, just that's stupid. Don't pander." But I will, I will stand up for his right to do what he wants, and to um, say what he wants, and and. Nobody really came to his defense on the social media side. Like all these other Niner writers, guys that have that grants had on his show, Jason Aponte, um, you know, all these, you know, coach shoe. And I like, I I, look, this is a whole other world that you probably don't, but nobody came to his defense. Not one guy on, on, in that little world said, hey, look, back off for Grant. You know, I I follow his work and he never said anything personal about Javon Kenlaw. Nobody did that. You know why? Because they don't want to risk being unpopular. They don't want to risk the wrath of the mob. I don't don't necessarily blame them. The mob could be ugly, especially when you're isolated. You know, that's... And here's my thing too. If it happens, and again, I think Grant's kind of a dick, but I stood up for him and I took a lot of heat for it. And the reason why, here's why I stood up for Grant. Besides the fact that I think journalists should be able to talk about whatever they wanna talk about. And if something like this happens, you deal with it. You deal with it. However, However you can deal with it, you deal with it. Some people deal with it better than others. He didn't do, I think he did an okay job. Scale of one to 10, he did maybe a six. But that's not the main reason. The main reason is that people water themselves down so that they can be accepted. And this is the dumbing down of our society. This this is the slow, inexorable march to the middle. Because people don't want to stand out. And um, the late Kevin Samuels talks about this. And he said, you're always going to have haters. Always. If you're really successful, you're going to have haters. It's rare when somebody is both successful and likable. It does happen. But it's rare. I'm not going to get into The dark accusations of Tom Cruise, not Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise, but Tom Hanks, I'm not going to, not going to get into that because, you know, clearly there's plenty of fodder there if we want to go into red shoes land. But Tom Hanks was one of those rare people who was both successful and liked until he became unlikable for whatever reason, right? His association with Oprah the pictures with him and Oprah and Gail King and the weird shit, all of a sudden Tom Cruise became unlikable. But before that happened, he was both successful and likable. LeBron James, successful. Not a lot of people like LeBron James. They don't. He's kind of a dick. Even Steph Curry, who's really successful, there are a lot of people who don't like Steph Curry. And he's probably got the widest path in terms of Somebody, he's he's Steph is not a dick, although his his uh, political um, understanding, I think, is naive. But that's another story. I'd say maybe the best example this would be Clay Thompson. You don't know who Clay Thompson is, probably plays for the Warriors, son of a a basketball player, Michael Thompson. Clay's really successful and he's super fucking nice and cool and friendly. Nope. People don't dislike Clay Thompson, he's rare. Most of the time when people, get to a certain point and generally through their own merits, because there are people that are successful due to their, look, I haven't, I have like got into this trap a little bit with David Palmer. You know, when David Palmer first hit the scene, of course, I'm like, you know, another dude, like who the fuck is the Leo King? Who does this guy think he fucking is? And I had this assumption for a long time that David was just pure ego. You know, he was just running on his image you know, all these things. And then I stepped back and I watched how hard David Palmer worked. Like the guy fucking worked hard. And I'm like, okay, this dude has been in this game now for a while. He didn't go away. He worked on his craft. He built an app. I mean, so his dedication to his work and his attention to the detail of the craft Won me over. I was like, you're good. And once I realized that David Palmer was the real deal, it was like, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. This guy's really good. And, you know, whatever kind of, you know, little alpha thing was going on in my head with whatever image I had with David Palmer, that just ended. I'm like, you and I are allies. In my head. And shortly after that, We're connecting. And so a lot of that was internal for me to get to that place where I was not being judgmental around David and his presentation and his appearance. Once I was able to drop that, and the reason I was able to drop that is because he demonstrated his ability to be dedicated, hardworking, and competent. And once I saw all three of those things, I'm like, that's it. We're good right? We're good. So I think we have to, like, address that. And most people don't want people to be in a position where they are in a greater hierarchical position than another. They don't want that. They want everybody to lurch towards the middle, right? The, the kind of the zombie pit. Lurch towards the middle where everybody can commiserate, with their own version of dissatisfaction, bitterness, resentment, and ennui. Don't fall for it. One of of my spiritual teachers is William Blake. If you don't know who William Blake is, he is the uh, great uh, 18th century uh, poet, engraver, illustrator, visionary. There was only one William Blake. And I've read a lot of his poetry, um, and I really got into his letters. His letters are very interesting. And when you read William Blake, is this fascinating combination of, I don't want to use the word arrogance, but he knows who he is. William Blake knows who he is. He understands his game. He understands what his talents and gifts are. And he understands what moves him. And there are two separate letters that William Blake has. One is him responding to somebody about his art and his cosmology. And basically the person said, well, why don't you make your your art, your poetry more accessible? It's like, you know, somebody it's like somebody telling, and I'm not a big Captain Beefheart fan, but I'll just throw it out there. It's like somebody telling Captain Beefheart, hey, why don't you write pop songs? But Captain Beefheart's not gonna write a fucking pop song. It's Captain Beefheart, right? It's Captain Beefheart. But Blake, this guy says it's to Blake, and Blake says, Why should I do that? You know what I'm doing is I'm creating something that people have to reach for. they have to work for it and there's no merit this is blake's position there's no merit if you don't have to work for the thing that i'm putting out there if i just give it to you you won't appreciate it you won't understand it it'll be consumed like everything else that's consumed so it's like no i'm not going to lower my standards i want the quote unquote common man to reach for this, make them work, make them understand what I'm talking about. He wasn't going to dumb it down. Now, conversely, there was another letter in his um, letters where somebody was asking him about his lack of success. Like, you know, hey, I think it was a different letter, but it was along the same lines. Like, do you begrudge the fact that You have all this great work, and you're you're not very well known. And Blake basically says, look, I was trained as an engraver, and it's the work that I do, and I'm happy to do engraving. He did a lot of engraving for other people. He just didn't do his own plates. You know, the whole acid etch plating thing is something that Blake developed, and nobody else had done that prior to Blake. I mean, that's what we're led to believe, and I believe that to be true, which made his illustrations stand out all the more. So he basically said, look, I'm okay with my station in life. I was trained to be an engraver and that's what I do. And I write poetry and I make prints and paint on the side and I illustrate on the side. And that's my, (coughs) you know, that's my, my spiritual and art. I mean, he didn't use this, but that's my spiritual and artistic yoga. That's what I do, but it's not the totality of who I am because I'm also somebody who's very working class. And he was okay with that. And I think somewhere between those two poles is really the answer, right? To understand who you are, what you do. And if you do anything that's artistic, if you do anything that's creative, do it. Don't dumb yourself down. You're doing people a disservice by dumbing yourself down and crawling back to the middle. And at the same time, be humble enough to understand that this is what you do. And it's what you were trained for. And I mean, I get into this too sometimes. Like there, there have been times where it's like, I'll look at somebody on YouTube and like, why does that fucker have 10,000 views on that video? I used to get into this more before. When I was drinking, I used to get into this a lot. I, was, I would be like sour And then I realized it was like, you know, it is what it is. And if 50 people are listening right now or 90 people listening right now, great. Great. Can we judge our success based on numbers? No. Because I can show you any number of videos on YouTube that fucking suck. And they get big numbers. Popularity does not necessarily... Translate into personal success. Although everybody wants to hit record every now and then. Would I like to hit record every now and then? Sure. Absolutely. But that's not going to be my raison d'etre. My raison d'etre is to be able to do my work and hopefully <laughs> improve my craft. And um, let the chips fall where they may. And I feel pretty good about it. You know, I'm a Virgo, so I feel like I can always do more, which I think I can, and hopefully I will. But I don't think people should dumb themselves down. Does that mean you have to be an arrogant prick and an asshole? Mm, Maybe sometimes. Maybe sometimes you have to risk that. Maybe in order to have an opinion that is uncomfortable or an opinion... Um, that is contrary, you have to risk it because most people don't want to do that. They just don't. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about BLM. So now we've got do that. Let's all do that. So they're revving up the BLM machine again because they know that they can't, they can't engage in a culture war with R.V. Wade. It's a, they're going to get crushed. So you notice now at this latest shooting in Kansas City, which I'm not going to bring up, the woman was pregnant. You had a pregnant black woman who was shot. They found a gun. There was a gun in the car. Um, I don't know what they were doing. Both suspects ran like, were they going to like rob the fucking dollar general? Are you kidding me? What are you going to get? A bunch of dollars? $150. Like robbing stores now with, for cash. Nobody has cash. Stupid. If you're going to rob a store, you rob them of their, their goods, right? You go and get, you know, $300 worth of makeup which you can easily sell for about $200. That's what you do. You don't, you don't, you don't rob the cash register. Cause everything is going through the damn cell phone. So now we have a woman black and pregnant, not dead, but shot. That's what we're led to believe, right? In Kansas city. And now they're converging, right? They're bringing the two worlds together. They're bringing the two worlds together and who knows, you know, will the mother be at risk? Will they have to abort the child? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know how this is going to play out narrative wise, but you're going to hear about it. And they're trying to drum up this racial component again. Look at the whole Buffalo thing who, by the way, uh, this, this uh, Peyton Gendron, he was connecting with some FBI dude on uh, Discord, do you know that? Like shortly before the whole thing theoretically went down, he was connected with some FBI guy. That's part of the public record. I think this is the Armand character. So they're trying desperately to reignite the race thing and connect the race thing to the gun thing, to the um, Roe v. Wade thing to the white supremacy thing, to the replacement theory thing, right? January 6th, Buffalo, Jake Angeli, let's wipe out Whitey. That's what's going on. And going back to the beginning of the show, that dude on Twitter wanted me to go to a Fox News page. By the way, I don't fucking watch Fox News. I used to watch Tucker a little bit. And then when Tucker... backed off of Hunter Biden I was done once I saw that and I would never I never really liked Tucker but he kind of began to win me over a little bit um, and then the whole thing with with uh, Hunter Biden happened it was like dude you're in on it he's your buddy you lived in the same neighborhood you barbecued together you you were asking, Hunter to give your son a recommendation to go to Georgetown. Anyway. Um, Yeah, so I don't watch Fox News. Like, why why the fuck do you send me to Fox News? And again, it just gets down into the lack of sophistication of some of these people. Like, they think that those people that are commenting in the comment section are fucking real. They're not. Some might be. But they're not. There a lot of times in comment sections, you'll find intel they're fishing for people. They are fishing for people. They want to hook people. Oh, we got a live one here. Let's reach out to them. Oh, yeah. But then you get into their, you know, maybe they lost their job, they lost their wife, who knows? Right now they're disgruntled. Now you got a live one. It's like, yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's radicalize them. And who knows with the the Ramos? I call him Ramos because of Ram, Aries the Ram. Who knows with this kid? Whole story's bizarre, totally bizarre. You know, the whole weapons thing doesn't add up. The truck thing—I mean, the, all, all the toys that he supposedly had, even if he's selling dick pics. <coughs> on um, OnlyFans. He's still not going to be able to afford 75 $80,000 worth of equipment, car, guns, you know, Kevlar, whole nine yards. Not going to happen. Very hard to do. And there's some intel floating around that he was part of some kind of very um, cutting edge dream therapy. I think Alex Jones talked about this. Shamika brought it up on um, Fearless with Jason. So there's that, right? You have somebody who might be involved in a psychological operation in a program where they're tweaking this person. Like they're getting into their dreams, So everything that we see doesn't really match up. It doesn't really add up. And yet they're trying to sell us a version of reality that they want to be able to capitalize on and then essentially make people's lives harder for them. You know, the justification of tyranny. It's the way it is. So what do we do? We go through and we try to untangle these things so that we can, you know, begin to understand the nature of the thing that's behind the thing that we're dealing with. Can we pull it off? Is it, is it uh, you know, have we gotten to the bottom of the rabbit hole? Well, how many rabbit holes are there? It might be a giant field of rabbit holes, but they all converge into one dark, deep center where, you know, the, the hell bunny, the bunny from hell is, you know, leading this whole thing. I don't know, maybe. All right. I think we're done for today. Happy birthday, Clint Eastwood. Happy birthday, Tovey. I know you don't watch this, but happy birthday to you. Uh, Brooke Shields birthday today. And I believe Walt Whitman's birthday. All on May 31st, one of the most interesting days of the year. And you're here and you're living it. Thanks for being here, I appreciate you. Don't let anybody water you down. Be unabashedly who you are, whatever that is. If you're just a really good, caring, decent, loving person, don't let people water that down. Don't toss pearls before swine, but don't let them water it down. If you have a talent and you're good at it, whatever that thing is, Do it. Do it unabashedly and and do it to the point where you, you have your own imprimatur, your own stamp of genius, because that's ultimately why we're here. Because genius is a reflection of God. That's not to say that people that aren't geniuses don't have something divine in them. I'm not saying that. But when you see something that's genius, what do you do? You go, wow, that's something interesting. That's a cut above. That's a notch above. Right? And even William William Blake has one of the Proverbs of hell, which is, let me see if I can find one here real quick. A little bit of time. All right, let's see what we have here. Where's the one genius? All right, when thou seest an eagle, a portion of genius, lift up thy head. When thou seest an eagle, A portion of genius lift up thy head. He's got another genius quote here. Um, Improvement makes straight roads, but the crooked roads without improvement are roads of genius. Stay on your crooked path. Your crooked path will take you home. All right, I'm Robert Phoenix. Take care. Bye for now. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to accept what's possible. We'll see you tomorrow on uh, Wednesday. Big day tomorrow. Big Wednesday. Uh, until then, take care.